But when I was teaching full-time, many of you know I taught at Edison Junior High here for several years. And during that time, we had a, a span of about four or five years in a row. I think they were all in a row in which our last concert of the year, the spring concert, ended with a medley of songs from a Disney musical. I, I just picked a different musical every year and we it was a medley of songs and we that was the, the grand finale of the concert. And uh, it was a lot of fun, complete with costumes and choreography. Every year I'd hire a, a, a local choreographer who was very good. She was a, a dance teacher, had been a dance teacher for years and uh, excellent at, at her job. And so she would prepare... She would work really hard to, to prepare a routine that worked with, with our students and that fit the music just right. And it was fun. It was entertaining. And, and those concerts were, were always a, a big success. It was a great year, a, a great way, I should say, to end a year. Well, one, one year, and I forget exactly which Disney theme we had that year, which Disney medley we were performing. But we were deep in the preparation. We had learned the music. The kids were great, doing a great job. This lady had come in, had, had taught the choreography. We're on stage. We're working. And um, I'm just observing. And uh, she was there that day. She was, it was pretty much learned, but she was just there to kind of touch up a few things. And as I'm watching, I saw some of our boys, some of our ninth grade boys. These were eighth and ninth graders. Some of our, of our ninth grade uh, boys decided that they were going to add their own choreography to the performance. Started doing their own thing. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, what is that? In fact, our choreographer choreographer noticed it also, and I looked at her, and, and she had this puzzled look on her face, and I believe her exact words were, wait, what? And so I said, I'll take care of it. So I went and talked to the boys. I said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. I, I told them, I'm paying this lady a lot of money to choreograph choreograph our our show and I'm paying her for her expertise, her experience. She's very good. She's worked hard at preparing this and she's the expert. She's the expert. We're going to do what she says. I'm not going to have you mess up her wonderful creative work with your juvenile interpretations. I didn't say that last part. I wanted to. I just said, she's the expert. Let's just do what she says. Let's not add anything to it. And the, the kids were good. I mean, they were good kids. I, yeah, okay, they laughed about it. Okay, we won't do what we were, we were doing. Well, today I want to talk to you about the choreographer, but not a dance choreographer. I'm talking about the choreographer of something much more important, our lives. This is part three of our series, The Grave Robber, how Jesus can make your impossible possible. And so we're going to read from John 4. You would turn your Bibles to John 4, beginning with verse 46. This is the second sign. We're looking at uh, seven signs of Jesus, seven miracles from the book of John. These are the miracles that, that John recorded. And uh, last week, we looked at the first sign, which was when Jesus turned the water into wine. And today we're looking at the second sign. So John 4, beginning with verse 46. Once more... He visited, Jesus visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, 
who was close to death. Okay, now let me give you a little bit of, of context here. As we look at the story and, and see what's going on and what we can learn from it. In first century Israel, it wasn't common to see a Roman official. This man that we just read about was a Roman official, which means that he probably answered to Herod. Probably answered to King Herod. And it was very uncommon, in fact, might have been a little bit uh, shocking to, to see a Roman official talking to a Jewish rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi. He was an itinerant rabbi. He was just walking around teaching. And, and so Roman officials and itinerant Jewish rabbis just moved in different circles. Their paths never crossed. So how is it that we see this man, a Roman official, speaking to Jesus out on the road? In plain sight for all to see. What has happened to cause this very unlikely meeting of two very different people? Well, the answer, of course, is that this Roman official had a great need. He had a great need. He was looking for a miracle. But the bigger picture is that the great choreographer of our lives had set up this meeting. Because that's what God does. He choreographs our lives. And he, he's the one who set up this meeting because there was something very important that needed to happen in the life of this man. This Roman official had a great need. His son was on his deathbed. And parents, how would you feel if your son was dying or your daughter was dying? If they were on their deathbed, there is no answer. There is, there's no way out of the situation. How would you feel? I think we can understand this, this man's great need and perhaps his desperation. He needed a miracle. And despite his position in the government that he was a Roman official, he wasn't too ashamed to ask, even beg. The Bible says he begged Jesus for a miracle. He went to Jesus and he begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So it doesn't matter if he was important and, and the Romans didn't like the Jews. Jews didn't like the Romans. The, the Jews would prefer that the Romans leave that place. They were occupying that place. But this man had such a great need that he begged Jesus to go and to heal his son. You know, if, if you need a miracle, a humble plea to God for help is a great place to start. If you need a miracle, a humble plea to God for help is a great place to start. And that's what this man did. He went to Jesus. And, if, and you're in the right place today if you need an intervention from God. It might be a physical need. It might be a healing you need. It might be a relationship that, that needs to be fixed. It might be a financial need. It could be any number of things. But whatever you need, your need is, if you need intervention... You're in the right place today. So we're going to look at how the Roman official did this and what happened. And surely we're going to learn from him today. Now, once again, just like last week, the answer that Jesus gave this man when he went and he begged Jesus to go with him to heal his son. The answer Jesus gave him is not the answer we would expect from our compassionate Lord. Here's what he said. Verse 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Now remember, we, we understand this man is hurting. His son is dying. His son is dying. 
He comes to Jesus and he begs him, please come with me and heal my son. He's dying. And Jesus says, you're like everybody else around here. Because he spoke to the man, but he uses a plural. Unless you people see signs and wonders. He's saying to him, you're like everybody else here. All you want is a miracle. The only reason you come to me is because you want a miracle. Wow, really Jesus? I mean, this guy's hurting. Remember last week, I told you last week, Mary, his own mother, came to him and and said to Jesus at the wedding, they've run out of wine. And Jesus answered to her, was like, woman, what does that have to do with me? Why do you involve me? Jesus, really? Responding that way to Mary, who's just telling you there's, there's a need? But in both cases, something funny happened. In both cases, Mary, when Jesus told her that, it's like she wasn't phased. I think she understood what was going on. We talked about this last week. I think she understood what was happening. But she just turned away, told the servants, just do whatever he says. I mean, he speaks very firmly to her. Woman, why do you involve me? She turned and says, just do what he says. This man, Jesus tells him, you're like everybody else. You just want to see a miracle. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And the royal official just repeated his request. Sir, come down before my child dies. Now, why would Jesus say this to this man? And I'm glad that we learn one of the things we learn from this man is his persistence. I'm glad he was persistent. Because Jesus' response after that was, Go, your son will live. He, he got the answer he was looking for. It didn't come exactly, we'll talk some more about this in a few minutes. It didn't come exactly the way he was expecting it. But why would Jesus say this to this man after he humbled himself to ask a Jewish teacher for help? Jesus, knowing the pain this man was experiencing because of the imminent death of his son, Why would Jesus tell him, you're like everybody else, you just want to see a miracle. If you don't see a miracle, you won't believe. Well, basically, this was a test of this man's faith. It looked like a rejection, but it was a test. And what we learn is this, don't confuse a test of your faith with a rejection of your prayer. Don't confuse a test of your faith with a rejection of your prayer. Because this is not the only time that we read that Jesus tested someone's faith. Remember the Greek woman whose daughter needed a miracle? She was possessed by a demon. Can you imagine that feeling of that that mom? And so she comes to Jesus and she says to Jesus, Help me. My daughter is possessed by a demon. And the first thing Jesus did was ignore her. He heard her. He heard her. He just ignored her. How many of you like to be ignored? Do you like when people just hear you and they just ignore you? None of us do. But can you imagine a woman in this condition? He totally ignored her. But she kept asking, Jesus, help me. So then the second time she says that, Jesus finally looks at her and says, You know what? I wasn't sent to people like you. I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. I didn't come for you. Really, Jesus? But he's testing her faith. So then she says again, Jesus, help me. And so Jesus comes back third time. And he says, it just isn't right to take the food from the children and to throw it to the dogs. It's getting worse, isn't it? 
I mean, first he ignores her. That's bad enough. Then he tells her, I didn't come for you. Then he tells her, I didn't, you know, it's not right to take what I came to do and to give it to the dogs, to give it to you. And I think many of us would have turned and walked away at that point, would have said, I tried. I tried. He, I don't know what's going on. He just didn't, didn't want to help me. But then this woman had a, an amazing answer when Jesus said, it isn't right to take the, the food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, but, but even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, I'll take anything. Give me the crumbs. I'll take that. Just help me. And Jesus was so impressed with that. He says, woman, your faith is amazing. Your faith is amazing. He healed her daughter. So Jesus is testing this royal official's faith. And specifically, I think it was a test of where his faith was placed. Was his faith placed in his ability, in Jesus' ability to do miracles, or was it placed on who Jesus was, whether he did the miracles or not? See, it's, it's not really hard for us to misplace our faith. I run into people all the time whose faith is placed in their faith. They have their faith in faith, like, oh, God has to answer this because I, I said the right words, right? I believe, and it's, it, it has to come to pass. And so their faith is actually in their faith rather than being in Jesus. And so I think Jesus needed to know, where is your faith placed? Is it placed in, in, in me or in the fact that I do miracles? And I, and I think it's a, it's a great question for us to consider because it's not unusual for us to seek Jesus for what he does. In fact, I think that makes sense. Because think about this. Jesus often meets us at our point of crisis. He often meets us in our time of need. Many people turn to Jesus because they have a great need. And that's good. That's good. So they, they come to Jesus, Jesus because they have the great need. Jesus meets that need. So then that's the way they see Jesus. He's the one who meets my needs. Well, you know, that's a great first step. But the next step is to learn to follow and worship Jesus simply because of who he is, whether he meets our needs or not. And some people never take that second step. It's like newborn babies. Newborn babies learn to have all their needs met right away. The moment a baby cries, the parents and the grandparents jump up to meet their needs. Find out what's going on. And, and, and again, that's a good thing. We definitely need to, to take care of our infants that way, of our babies, of our children. But eventually, when they grow up and get to be toddlers, they need to learn that the world doesn't really revolve around them. And that's a hard lesson for toddlers to learn, isn't it? It's a hard lesson. That's why the temper tantrums. You ever seen a two-year-old throw a temper tantrum? My word! Such energy and such strength in their lungs. But their temper tantrums, they're saying, they're saying, but I used to get my own way all the time. What's going on? I don't understand. This is so hard for me. So it's great that Jesus meets our needs in our crises, but we've got to learn to place our trust in Him as God and not just as a miracle worker, whether He meets our needs or not. 
So this man's faith was being tested with Jesus' words when he said, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. But again, to his credit, he didn't give up. He repeated his request. Sir, come down before my child dies. And then Jesus gave him an answer. But I'm certain it wasn't the answer he expected because Jesus told him, Go, your son will live. Wait, what? You want me to go, but you're not going to go with me? I asked you to come with me. That was my word. Come with me. But Jesus said, no, you go. You see, up to this point, we don't have a record that Jesus had worked miracles from a distance or at a distance. This man had heard that Jesus did miracles and maybe had even seen some of the miracles. But he had surely never heard that Jesus would heal from a distance We're talking about 20 miles here, about 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana. So this was new territory for this man. He didn't have a way to judge this, a way to gauge this. He didn't have a paradigm in his thinking for this is how Jesus works. His paradigm included Jesus goes up to people, he touches them, he heals them. It didn't include Jesus saying, just go, it's going to be done, your son will live. It was, it was new territory for him. So again, the test continues. And we're about to see if this man passed the test. Verse 50. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. And this was, verse 54 says, This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judah to Galilee. Now this is amazing. The man took Jesus at his word. Now, did he have questions about why Jesus didn't go and just said, you go? Did he have questions about how it was going to happen? Probably. Might he have had some doubts? Almost certainly. But he took Jesus at his word and he departed. In other words, he acted in faith. He stepped out in faith. Jesus didn't give him a sign. He was looking for a sign. Jesus didn't give him the sign he was looking for. Gave him a promise. But the man took Jesus at his word. You know, I think this pleased Jesus. I think Jesus is pleased when we take him at his word. In fact, I think that taking God at his word is a catalyst for many miracles. Taking God at his word is a catalyst For many miracles. Many miracles are set in motion when we believe God's word. And when we act on God's word. And when we we treat God's word as a foundation of our lives. And when we live out God's word as a foundation of our lives. Taking God at his word just means to obey his word. But, you know, we can't take God at his word if we don't read his word. Reading the Bible daily is important. It's a part of taking God at His Word. Reading the Bible daily builds my faith. 
It lifts my spirit. It strengthens my resolve. It gives me wisdom that allows me to face my days with confidence and to face my days with joy. I can't say I understand everything, every detail about the scriptures, but I trust God and I take him at his word. So my question to all of us today is, how is your Bible reading and how is your Bible study? Now, obviously, you, you, you have a, a sense of how important God's word is because you're here today. You're here to worship. You're here to hear the message and to respond to it. But how is your daily time in God's Word? Are you allowing it to build your faith so that when the trial comes, you have confidence in God? Are you allowing it to build, to, to strengthen your resolve so when you go through the valley, you're not ready to give up because you know that you're just going through the valley? Because you know that's what God's Word teaches. We can't take God at His Word if we don't read His Word. And the man headed back home. And before he even arrived, his servants met him with the good news that his son was healed. And perhaps wanting to verify that it wasn't just a coincidence, he asked them what time this happened. And it was the exact time that Jesus had told him, Go, your son will live. The great choreographer is at work again. While the dad was pleading for help, the son was being healed by Jesus. Mark Batterson tells many stories in his book, The Grave Robber, the book that this series is based on. He tells many stories that to me are very exciting. As I read a part of, of, of this book this week, I got really excited at some of the stories. And uh, again, those stories are starting to, to build my faith and how God works. And one of the stories he, he tells is about a, a man named Raul where uh, Mark Batterson with some other people had gone to do some missions work in some islands off the coast of Ecuador. And so they were there for several days, going from island to island, doing missions work, preaching the gospel. When it was time for them to, to leave, they were uh, on a 45-minute car or truck ride. It was a bus ride, actually, on a bus for 45 minutes. It was going to take them to a ferry that would take them to another island from which they would get the plane. There was just one road from the town to the ferry. That's it. It's like the middle of nowhere. And they're on this road. And they saw this man walking along the side of the road, which is very odd. Because again, it's just one road, literally the middle of nowhere. And they thought, well, that's strange. He's just out there. So they, they went ahead and stopped. The bus driver stopped. They offered him a ride. He got on the bus. And he sat next to another young man by the name of Adam. So Raul was his name, the hitchhiker. He sat next to Adam. And the only reason that, that Adam had space next to him was because he had been lying down. He had gotten hurt the day before Adam did. They were uh, hiking, doing something. He hurt his back. I think they were jumping from cliffs is what it was. He hurt his back. Didn't find out till later that it was a, a, it was a pretty serious uh, issue. But at any rate, he was in a lot of pain and he would lie down and he'd sit back up. So he happened to be sitting up. So there's a place there. So Raul came and sat next to him and they started talking. Adam started talking to Raul, found out this man, Raul, was in deep pain because his wife of 30 years had left him. 
In fact, he was suicidal. He had tried to kill himself, and what he what he did, he didn't he didn't carry it out. But what he did is he actually tied some heavy bricks to his ankles, and he was planning on jumping into the water, and then he he didn't he didn't finish that. And as Adam listened to that, he not only listened to that story, but he was able to to empathize because he told Raoul, he says, you know what? I went through the same thing. My wife left me 15 years ago. I was also suicidal. I just couldn't get over it. I wanted to kill myself. And Raul was just like, wow, really? What happened? How did you, how did you deal with that? And, and he said, I, I turned to Jesus. Jesus helped me. He brought me through this. And it was just the message that Raul needed to hear. Now, who would have thought on an island somewhere off the coast of Ecuador, there's this lonely man. He's still thinking about killing himself. How is God going to reach him? Well, through a guy who the day before had been jumping from cliffs, he hurt his back and needed to lie down. But at this time he was up, so there was a place there. How does this happen? See, God is in control. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, that God causes Everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, unless you think that we're all puppets and God is simply controlling us, please remember that, that God's algorithm includes free will. We all have free will. So God might place you on a path somewhere, but you've got to learn to trust Him to stay on that path. Or to trust Him to make a turn when it's time for you to take a turn. So, how far does your trust in God go? How deep does your trust run? Do you trust God with your life? I mean, do you really? I I know it's easy for us to say, yes, I, I trust God. Yes, I believe in God. But are you taking Him at His word? Are you actually living out God's word? Are you studying, reading, and saying, I can do this, I can practice this. It might be hard, but I believe this is true. I'm I'm going to live it out. That's taking God at His word. That's trusting God that He's going to lead you in the right path. That's a deep faith, the faith that pleases God. So today, what I want you to know is that God is a great choreographer. What I want you to do is to trust God. Maybe at a different level that, uh, than what you're trusting Him right now. Maybe you've got to take another step. A, a next step in your trust of God. Do that today. Do that today. Whether that step is simply making a decision to follow Christ. Or whether that step is saying, I'm going to get serious about obeying the Bible but obeying God's word. I'm going to get serious about the Holy Spirit leading me. You know, the, the Holy Spirit still speaks. He still speaks to us. He still guides us. I heard a preacher say many years ago, he said something like this. He said, I worry about people who ask me, how is it that God speaks to you? How, how is it that God, I, I've never heard God speak to me. And he said, I worry about those people because I wonder, are they going to hear the trumpet when it sounds, when Jesus comes back? The Holy Spirit still speaks. As we learn to trust God and to follow God, He'll speak to us and guide us because because He is a great choreographer and He wants to guide your life. Trust Him. Trust Him with your life.